Hey, what's up, psychos? How's it going? Welcome to another episode of Take Your Pills, Psychopath, the comedy podcast that exploits mental illness for a personal profit, trademark. I'm your host, John F. O'Donnell, J. Fod. How we doing, everybody? Are we all right? Are we hanging in there uh, in this wild-ass crazy time? Um, for any of you who listened to last week's episode, I uh, it was kind of like a check-in episode, an abbreviated episode. I opened up in, a, in an honest way about what I've been through lately because I had a manic episode in November. It was very... Um, unexpected. I thought that I was staying on track with a lot of things. I was, but I think all of the stress, everything, I just kind of hit a wall. But I'm not going to talk a ton about that in this intro because I went into it pretty in depth. And if you guys have any questions at all, anything you want to share with me, if you want to reach out, uh, feel free, drop me a line at takeyourpillspod at gmail.com. I love to hear from you guys. If you haven't signed up yet at jfodnews.com, that's jfodnews.com, that's a great way to stay in touch and get extra content for um, me. Um, so yeah, there's the free version uh, or the $7 a month version, uh, whatever you can do to support. And I, uh, I'm so glad to be working right now to get back on track, to stay well, to do the things that I can do to get myself going. And I am doing all right. You know, I think I have this past week, I was pretty tired. I, um, you know, I would say that I slept uh, more than I wanted to for sure. But I think I am fighting off some of the more severe aspects of uh, depression uh, because I don't feel that that overwhelming desire, crushing a desire for isolation. You know, I haven't gotten to a place in my mind where it's been like, oh, wow, I'm comforted by the fact that uh, suicide is an option, that suicidal ideation, which is part of the, uh, you know, the depressed brain can be comforted by that. The brain is tricking yourself into, uh, you know, doing something drastic instead of realizing that suicidal ideation is a symptom and symptoms will pass and they don't have to be acted upon. Uh, I'm not, I'm not there. I'm feeling comfortable engaging with friends. I'm basically, I'm, I'm eager and excited to move forward, uh, with, my uh, projects. I'm eager and excited to move forward with Take Your Pills Psychopath, which people have been responding positive to, uh, positively towards, which means so much to me. Uh, and all of this, this stuff that I'm like concerned with, with these like uh, World Economic Forum folks and this Event 201 stuff, I figured out a way to channel that into comedy. I'm working on a show uh, about that and um, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about that too. So I'm trying to do things in a healthy way. I'm trying to uh, be healthy. Uh, my, my diet's been so, so I feel like I'm gaining a couple LBs, you know, but I'm going to turn the corner on that, uh, get some more exercise going. I've done a few yoga classes, whatever I'm trying here, you know, but I feel grateful that because the, uh, the mania side of things for me was nipped in the bud so relatively quickly that uh, my brain didn't spin out for so, so long in such a way that what goes up must come down in such a drastic way uh, that I would have been in a clinical extended depression. So I am grateful for that. Also, 
I'm grateful for these interviews that I did before I lost my shit, before I lost my marbles, before I spun out in New York, before I ended up in the psych ward in New York, in the, you know, the insane asylum, the loony bin, the bin de lune, if you will. I like to call it the bin de lune, you psychos, because it sounds kind of fancy. Um... But yeah, or the or the sanitarium. I like that sanitarium because that sounds like a combination of the words sanity, uh, aquarium, and planetarium. Ooh, I like to think I was in some sort of combo place of those three things, huh? To get my mind back. That's actually like the premise, not punchline, of a very very old stand-up bit on my first stand-up EP. DIY album, Live from Outer Space, Volume 1. What? Live from Outer Space, Volume 8 is on Spotify. I think I'm going to put Volumes 1 through 7 on there, too. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, but yeah, I feel very grateful for the um, guests that I've had. And and this guest, this podcast that I'm finally releasing today, I'm so, so excited. It's with Chemda Khalili, you guys. It's with Chemda. Chemda of Keith and the Girl legend legendary podcaster great friend uh i've been lucky enough to be a guest on the keith and the girl podcast for over 10 years guys Chemda khalili is a freaking legend she's a superstar and she's such a kind warm amazing free spirit of a person who uh, basically that's what a lot of this episode is about. It's about triumph of the human spirit. She's been dealt some really, really rough cards, but she's pushed through in awesome, awesome ways. And it's really, really great to hear how this is just without question an example of strength through adversity. And this episode should have come out in October. I'm, I was so excited for it, uh, but... I let it I let it just sit while I was getting immersed in other stuff while my you know judgment was starting to slip all of that sort of stuff then uh, Keith Malley and Hemda uh, do this pod, their podcast together Keith and the girl and I was on it I'm not sure how many of the take your pill psychopath listeners are also KATG KATG listeners I know there's some overlap um, but if you're not familiar with that podcast you really got to check it out they just have such great energy and such a great dynamic and they've been podcasting since 2005 you guys amazing um, anyway so uh, Hemda and Keith had me on in November and she and after I said after I brought up hey like I you know, I'm sorry that the podcast episode has not come out yet. And she doesn't mind, but she lovingly was saying, okay, but when is it going to come out? Like, why are you procrastinating on this? And I was like, okay, guaranteed it is coming out on the 17th, Tuesday, the 17th of November. <laughs> okay, now we are a month beyond that. So, uh, but you know what? I went through a lot of stuff and it's... Uh, it's such a such a such a, a, a good interview, and it's been good for me to listen to it back now, after the difficulties that I've just gone through, because it's allowed me to, uh, you know, to be like, wow, okay, yeah, I'm gonna be able to get through this. I'm gonna be okay. Look at Hemda. Look at how strong she is. Look at what she's been through. Um, so I'm excited about that. 
I just want to say for you KATG listeners, um, I know that in that episode, uh, Chemda said, hey, just record the intro right now within the Keith and the Girl episode and then just edit it in. I listened back to it and I just, I couldn't, it just, I couldn't do that because it was funny in the time what we did there, but I don't think it would work relative to what I've been through. I just wanted to, you know, connect with the psychos right now and not have a separate uh, intro that was recorded earlier. Also, like, I thought when I was on that episode that I had a super sweet, awesome appearance um, in that mid-November uh, episode. And then I listened back to it, and I was like, oh, wow, man, I explained everything so well. This was on November 13th, 2020. I was on Keith and the Girl episode 3344 and um, on the 13th of November. And I listened back, and I was like, wow, again, I explained all of this interesting geopolitical social stuff that's going on. And then I started reading the comments, and people were like, uh, is J-Fod okay? Somebody needs to check on him. He seems kind of manic. And I was like, oh, no. So as I was listening back now, I was like, oh, I feel like I was just starting to get a little bit ramped up. Uh, so that is, that's why I decided to go with a fresh intro. Um, for those of you who did not listen to that episode of Keith and the Girl, I apologize for that little exposition. But I'm just trying to cover all of the bases here. Um, but the most important base is that Chemda is on the show and I've been a guest on their podcast for a decade, and now I'm interviewing her? What? Uh, I'm so excited for you guys to listen to this. So, uh, yeah, uh, again, let's connect. Let me know how you're doing. Uh, if you're going through anything, feel free to drop me a line. And I hope everybody's doing okay. I know it's a crazy-ass time. I know it's a challenging time. So your guys, you guys listening to this means the world to me. And... Moving forward, I'm excited to be consistent and uh, and, and be creative and, uh, you know, be in control and be compassionate. Those are my four little C's. That's my little mantra for myself. It's uh, Anyway, please uh, enjoy this episode of Take Your Pills Psychopath with the one and only Chemda. Hey, Chemda, how are you? Good. How's it going? Good I'm to see doing you. well. I'm doing well. Um, it's so good to see you. And I'm so, so excited that you're on my podcast, Take Your Pill Psychopath. Can you believe it? It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you in whatever way we're allowed to see each other right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. And, you know, I'm sure you know this, but I've been coming on your podcast for 10 years. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness gracious. And <laughs> you guys pretty incredible. And you guys were kind enough to let me get Take Your Pill Psychopath started by doing a flavor of the month for you guys for those first four episodes. But oh my goodness, it's a long time coming. My my how the tables have turned. You <laughs> are gonna be interviewed by me. Yes, I love it. <laughs> I'm so so psyched. So let's just uh I just gotta know how is your How's your New York life unfolding for you in these cray-cray pandemic times? 
Well, the first three days, I think, uh, were just lost, you know, just um, wrapping your mind around the word pandemic and, you know, 2020 and uh, how we got here. It just was a big blur. And then on the fourth day, uh, you know, it's me and my boyfriend Xerxes here. And we just said, okay, what three things can we do today that as small as they are, we're going to at least feel accomplished and like we were awake for a while and slowly we built up our schedule but everything has had to take like three times more patience you know and really like not uh taking things personally like you can't take electronics personally you can't take you know people responding differently to things and I've been in my closet for recording uh so I'm lucky to have a closet to record in it's a studio apartment um and that's it you know just I think that crazy feeling, and I don't know if that's like the right term to say, that crazy feeling starts creeping up. And um, I've had a lot of practice with that crazy people feeling coming up and me indulging it. And so I'm glad that I have a little bit more awareness as it comes up now instead of it taking me by surprise because this could have taken me out completely. This is a very difficult thing to deal with, I think, no matter where you are or who you are. It's just, it's maddening. Yeah, I think that's I think that's that's well put and I think that's an important insight and I think I know what you mean by that that crazy feeling. I guess that I would describe it as as this this impulse. It's like this this impulse that has like a somatic a very physical component to it uh where there's kind of like an anxiety around it and has a physical component and you can kind of travel down that rabbit yes. hole of negativity and kind of spin out into that and love it. And love it and get addicted Swim in to it. it. Yes. Swim in it. Get addicted yeah. to that speculative narrative that really often does not lead to anything uh, positive. Or even if it does lead to something, quote unquote, positive, it's not actually reality, you know? And it's and it's so recognizable, but at the same time, it's so familiar. It feels good. Um, it feels like you're supposed to go there. It feels like the darkness is calling you and that's the answer because there's just no light to look at to even see that there is another answer. And like you said, it's anxiety. So, um, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen if people don't do this? What's going to happen if that same response to life of what's going to happen? I'm like, what's going to happen if I don't think about what's going to happen? The same thing. If I think about it, if I don't think about it. So that lowers my anxiety. And what about we should have been wearing masks this time, not wearing masks at that time? What happened before? Why did Trump get elected? You know, all this stuff. So that's the past bringing anxiety. And the hardest thing is finding the balance of staying present while knowing the past exists and knowing there's a goal and a future to to answer for everything that we're doing right now. It's It's a very difficult balance. Yeah. And it is it's it throws us into the speculation mind. And when we're speculating, we're suffering. That is that is a very basic, uh, you know, uh, Buddhist teaching. And it also completely resonates in all, all sorts of um, psycho psychological uh, studies and ideas. And I think and I've recently looking at it from 
like uh, an evolutionary neuroscience perspective, listening to certain people talk about that, specifically this this guy, Josh Korda, I like from uh, from Dharma Punks, who explains things from a secular Buddhist perspective and from a neuroscience perspective. I mention him a lot on Take Your Pill Psychopath. I know that psychos. There's a reason for it. Check out his podcast, you know, free plug, whatever. Uh, but anyway, so he talks about- It's so about- funny. You, you always say that when you bring up his name. You're <laughs> like, okay, I'm doing a free plug. That's okay. This is how much I believe in it. All right. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Okay. As someone, okay. As obviously a pioneer of podcasting. Okay. Um, <laughs> one of the best, if not the best in the business. Let me ask you, should I just move on after I mentioned him? Should I not say No, the that's funny. It's cute. It's expected. And it's, I don't know, it, it became its own segment. Whatever, you know, it's not like you're going on and on and that becomes the podcast. It's just uh, we know that you're going to do that now. And I feel like that feels good. Okay, I will take that number one. And I will also take the uh, the humble brag that I just learned from that, that you've been listening to my podcast. So (laughs) it's a win, win, win for me all around, dude. Um, But what I wanted to say is one of the things that he says about we have these these evolutionary holdover traits that are deeply wired into our brain that no longer serve us from our, you know, super, super hyper tribal uh, times when it was just like, you know, we would just know a few people in our tribe for our whole life and we would really have to work together in order to survive. And if we got alienated from one of those people in the tribe, there'd be a lot higher likelihood that we would die. And one of those over one of those um, those sort of like leftover uh, holdover traits is this sort of sense of when we do not know when something's going on, when there is an insecurity, we immediately go to the kind of deepest dive, worst case scenario of it as a survival trait, because when there is uncertainty, more often than not uh, in the past, it meant certain death. So we will go to that place. So we will feel that that impulse, right? Uh, but what I think that is something that, that, that you are helping so many people with right now with uh, with with OMAT and other things that you do, which we will get to in this podcast. It's being becoming aware of that impulse. It's being mindful of that impulse. It's cultivating mindfulness. So when you feel that, instead of reflexively reacting to it, i.e., uh, with a direct action or reflexively reacting by following that thought pattern, you can instead sit with how that feels somatically, acknowledge what it is, let some time pass, and move forward and stay in the present. Um, you know, I mean, that's that kind of resonated for me and, and being able to see it from a, a, a neuroscience perspective like that has actually really helped me kind of control those impulses because it's hard to remember them because they're so deeply ingrained in us. Well, there's this I you know, that whole um, Buddhist and uh, past lives and everything like that, like Buddhism has, has so much, but we don't even have to go to any past lives or to caveman time. There's uh, traditions that we keep that is teaching us, again, this is the tribe, your, maybe your mother, your parents, your uncle, whoever was in your tribe growing up. There is a sense of as soon as you have a different opinion than us, we will kick you out of the tribe. So when you say like these things that didn't work for us on an ancient level, there are things that didn't work for us that, that sorry, that did work for us on an ancient level, but don't work for us anymore. The same thing from our childhood there are things that did work for us. So we, we stayed small so that we don't make the noise that makes maybe our father erupt. Or we uh, stayed quiet or we were loud in order to get attention. That stuff worked for us back then. Part of it, what being an adult is like is what's working for me now, not what the traditions of how I responded was. Tradition really 
creates this incredible bond, but also this anticipation, that same anticipation that I think could be negative, even though we think of tradition as a positive thing. So every year we go to Thanksgiving. For some reason, there's a positive feeling, even in people who say, I'm going to have to drink a lot. I need to find a movie where my, you know, all my family can go to so we can face forward, so we can be quiet. This is still somehow a positive memory to us. Going back to Thanksgiving, we do it over and over and over again, but it's not working for us. So why are we keeping these traditions, the same traditions that are going on in our mind? Why do we only anticipate bad things? If we're going to think in the future, why not think a little bit more realistically? Why stay on one side or the other? Why be overly positive? What is controlling our minds? Part of the history and part of the future, but what can control our minds right now, which is staying present? What really is happening right this second? What is my responsibility in that? Because there are a lot of people who think they're good people who are just taking on other people's responsibilities. I have to save the world. I know better than to do this, that, or the next. But you still have to do your dishes. And you still have to make lunch. And this bigger picture just consumes you. And you feel like a failure because you have no control on some of that. But you want it so bad. And I think I just went on a tangent. But it just, that's that's what... You know, when we say it's ancient in our blood, we are so old-fashioned, even in our current upbringing. You know, what are you going to be when you grow up? Why are we asking kids that? Why are we asking a five-year-old that? Because he shows some interest in a helmet that, you know, now he's an astronaut. Just relax for a second. Don't put that on your kid. There is no anticipation. What are you up to now? Your kid will have an answer. Yeah. No, and I want you to... That was very, very interesting. I want you to feel free to go on as many tangents as you want, <laughs> please. Uh, this is Take Your Pill Psychopath. We're going down all of the rabbit holes, Hemda. <laughs> um, no, you're absolutely right. We do seem to cling to these traditions and justify things because of tradition, even when it you know, goes against all of our you know, kind of common sense, our emotional health, our physical health, all sorts of things. I mean... Thanksgiving is a twisted one in so many levels. Yes, for all of the reasons mm. that, that you mentioned. And in addition, how about the origins of the holiday built on the back of a genocide, you know? Uh, and then we get upset when people, you know, want to change the name from Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day. It's like that, really? That's an aspect of the culture you need to hold on to to feel alive? That's your thing? Whatever. Um, but And are we celebrating it or is it a day of remembrance? Because these were peaceful people that... We absolutely, and if we're taking credit for we as Americans, we took them out. <laughs> we took them out because they let us, because they're nice, because they expected nice things from us. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I'm Irish and Jewish, so my people had nothing to do with it. Uh, but uh, I'm sure some did. <laughs> Whatever. Your passport is your passport, right? I don't know. I know. I agree 100%. Yeah. I was just saying that, I was saying that kind of like tongue-in-cheek. But also, you know, I, uh, I, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. Um, but what I want to, what I'm, what I'm trying to, to get at is you talking about, you know, the, I think a worthwhile discussion about the idea of transcending uh, tradition and things like that. I want to connect that to these, these sort of holdover traits that we have evolutionarily. Right. Um, and I really am interested in, uh, you know, evolution and evolution of the mind, evolution of consciousness and what that means. And once you start talking about consciousness, it gets very tricky because it's hard to define your terms. We all sort of understand what it means to be conscious and what human consciousness is, but it gets really tricky to kind of explain it. And it gets really, really tricky to figure out the mechanism that makes it exist because you're using it 
to describe what the mechanism of it is by necessity, right? So it yeah. becomes like reductive in that respect. But what I like to think is, I like to quote this Friedrich Nietzsche quote from uh, The Gay Science from 1893, where he said, paraphrase, as evolving beings, our newest attribute is consciousness, and because it's new, it's still imperfect, thus it can still hurt us, right? And so then I look at it like, oh, wow, consciousness is imperfect, meaning there's room to evolve consciousness. And then I like to think that while we're alive, we start off with a level of of consciousness, a level of awareness when we're born, and then that consciousness increases through human interaction, through education, through life experience and stuff like that. And I think maybe some folks get stuck at a certain level of consciousness. Other people can transcend to another level. And I think that there's different uh, events that can kind of happen to do that. Like, for example, I think people that have had for whatever, however they got to it, whatever it is, whether it's life experience, whether it's some sort of like, you know, uh, you know, dr drugs or something, who knows, combination of the both meditation, spirituality, whatever it is, uh, this evolution, I think, can happen that some people have experienced and some haven't, where some people have had their their consciousness open up and they've become connected to the oneness of life. They've realized that there's value and happiness and joy in all life and everybody collectively working together to maximize that is what the value is for the individual. And then when you start pushing from that perspective, from what I call a homo sentient, a feeling, a homo sentient perspective, a feeling perspective, compared to a homo sapiens perspective, compared to an us versus them perspective, I think that a lot of positive things can happen. And that was my tangent to equal your tangent. <laughs> you win. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know. Uh, okay, so uh, there's so much to respond to that. I never thought of, you know, when we gain consciousness, but if I think about it from this place right here, which, you know, probably has to evolve also because I just started thinking about it, is, um, so I picture a baby and they have consciousness, but they don't have information. So the information is fed to them and I think they, they notice. So they notice this, then you tell them that's a cup and then they notice that and you tell them that's a camera and whatever it is. But what if we're unconsciously feeding their conscience, right? So what we're, what they have is already a consciousness and awareness. What we're doing is sort of squashing some of that by defining certain things maybe we're not supposed to, by defining love, you know, um, mommies are fighting, by defining um, uh, punishment for things that uh, maybe really just should be uh, asked about and gotten curious over things like that. So, um, and then the, the coming into consciousness. Yeah, I, it is really hard. I think like once you get a little small taste of it, you can become addicted to like getting it, getting enlightened and losing complete focus of what that means. But I also think once you get a little bit of it, you try to force it on somebody else and for somebody to not be ready to wake up to certain things is heartbreaking to watch because that means that they could be being abused and they could be, you know, on quote the wrong path. But I think uh, once we start trying to correct other people's paths, we're again going away from ours because we can only fix us. We can only make the change in us. And then if somebody thinks the road that we just created looks fun, they might take it. It's still our road. Am I getting too far into this? You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I think that's very, 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 very well said. And I think 
I think that you're right. I think that let's say a baby's mind is like this this blank canvas, and then you know parents are you know putting paint onto it, and hopefully they're painting really nice pictures. Oftentimes, maybe they're you know painting some horrible, horrible like uh, you know rainy hellscapes. Who knows? Uh, but well, they could be painting that, but everything that they paint that's not realistic to a, a brain that can take that amount of realism is a detriment. So uh, however much that baby can process reality, like don't lie and say the stork, um, but don't tell him like mommy and daddy fuck. Like there's a difference and a balance. But what we're showing them is our lack of consciousness and that affects it. That affects just everything. Then you got to undo that and do things like, quote, find yourself. But I believe in that. Like, find my actual thoughts without them being interrupted by a lord and supervisor that is my parent or guardian. Uh, I think you should take time for that. But instead, you're shoveled into schooling systems that, you know, are putting you into debt and um, systems that promise one thing. But then when you get out, it's some other thing that, you you need some time. You need space. You need to ask yourself questions and to not be afraid to answer them because somebody else is going to respond. And and check on your responses because we're all addicted to something. I know you were just talking about addiction in the last couple of episodes. And, um, you know, to me, alcoholism is just the addiction that we have like a physical bottle to to look at and go, that's the thing. But like, what about cutting? What about eating? What about love and sex addiction? What about stuff that we find to be normal, like eating and wanting to have sex and, you know, making it perverted, but really some of it is perverted. It's my addiction. So that perverts what I should be getting out of it. So just mix matching and, and, and misinterpreting those things is causing us more shame and grief and to stay inside closets of all different kinds and feed our addiction because that's what feels good because bad feels good sometimes because at least I'm feeling something. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm definitely going to have to name the podcast Mommy and Daddy Fuck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you all heard it from him to first. Do not tell your newborn baby that Mommy and Daddy Fuck. Um, no, but you're absolutely right. It makes sense. You're right. It's like, you know, it's like you can't I can't start reading like, you know, Noam Chomsky 9-11 to a five year old. Although, that being said, I do think A People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn should be mandatory reading in every seventh grade history class without question, because I actually think it's a major, major, major problem uh, in in our country. I know I'm getting a little bit off on a tangent to your tangential to your to your tangent. But I think it's a major, major problem how by design, how low our political and historical IQs are in this country. We have highly, highly educated people with master's degrees and PhDs that don't know shit about the real history and current geopolitical dynamics of this country by design to such an extent of cognitive dissonance where in my mind at this point, Hemda, what I do is I just plot and scheme how to figure out the path of least resistance to tell people who trust me truths that they don't want to fucking hear. It's nuts. Uh, um, and I bring that up because from my perspective, that can be seen as an evolution of consciousness uh, in this plane of existence, where it's like, okay, actually learning truthfully what's going on through multiple, pushing through multiple propagandistic uh, filters, that is 
an evolution of consciousness because you're no longer able to be manipulated. There's all types of evolutions of consciousness. You know, me having blind spots about things I've done in relationships and stuff like that, uh, you know, and then and then deciding to sit with the difficulty of that, try not to get defensive about it, try to, uh, you know, open my mind to the opposite perspective and then be like, oh, wow, I was in the wrong there and I didn't even realize it. I'm going to try not to do that moving forward. That's an evolution of consciousness. That's kind of how I look at it. Does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, and it sounds um, it sounds very painful to when I realize that the history that I know, which is very little, is so, you know, you just kind of start going, wait, if this is the history, why is this happening? So uh, right before I took acid for the first time, you know, I still had, I was smoking weed, uh, I think I did Molly at that point, but, you know, it took me so long to do these drugs. And I'm not saying, like, I finally took drugs, but I did finally take drugs because all that stuff worked, all that propaganda worked. The government is on your side. They're trying to keep you away from from the things that hurt you. And just in a moment, I things just clicked for a second, and I said, oh, my God, I bought all of that shit. You know, with the accumulation of dipping into what slavery really was and how it is today and, you know, um, what they saw of what um, the hippies were. And when I think about it, what hippies actually were, you know, and and just all of that coming into a place, I just started crying. I was like, wow, I really fell for it. I fell for it. And it's heartbreaking because it is like my parents have been lying to me. You know, the people who are supposed to take care of me have been lying to me. And I happily took that acid because I know the depiction of it. Once, like you said, once you know the history, then you know what acid is really going to do because you have the real information. And now it is getting harder to decipher. But what I try to do is, okay, this person takes acid or does whatever it is I, I'd like to do. And, um, and I could see that they have a good life. They're not making stupid decisions, you know, um, just kind of like the example that they're leading is not the example of someone taking acid and jumping off a roof. And like the more I met people who are honest about their experience about it and like, yes, these are the bad things that can happen, but this is what uh, LSD does. And now you choose. What a great way to come into consciousness, you know, and also very heartbreaking. It's always heartbreaking. It's it's. Being aware of the, the cage that you constantly opt in for and also have no choice of, but which one is actually true. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think this would be a good time to do uh, Take Your Pill Psychopath's first ever ad read. Um, our Ooh. first uh, endorsement is uh, acid, you guys. It's uh, <laughs> LSD, everybody. Uh, waking people up uh, to their oneness and collective consciousness since the 1960s. All right. I'm just kidding. But we all have of no this evidence. happened before I even took that uh, piece of paper in my mouth. No, all exactly. All of that happened before. Exactly. See, that's what I was going to say. I think that there's a number of roads and a number of paths. And for some people, that can be the thing, but not for everybody. Like, no. don't make no mistake. A lot of assholes take acid and, uh, yes. you know, and uh, then they they still go right back to being, uh, I don't know, corporate tools of the establishment, if you will. Um, but uh, 
But also, interestingly, my acid experiences, as painful as they were, because I took them, I think, before my brain was fully formed when I was a teenager, I got ripped through all these doors of consciousness. Uh, all these years later, I do not regret having taken it. I just wish that I had the presence of mind to have done it in the capacity with the maturity with which you did it, so it was a pleasurable experience. But I absolutely do uh, think that it has informed me. That being said, all you psychos at home, uh, you know, do your own research, be in a safe situation. Uh, uh, you know, don't just like trip balls like in like in and go to like a, a fish concert in Madison Square Garden <laughs> like <laughs> I did. OK, and then start tripping when you're leaving and you're stuck in a car ride home with sort of friends of yours who when you start freaking out, they start fucking with you and like you think you're seeing the devil. So they pretend to be the devil. And then you have to go to school the next day. You're still like tripping while you're in school. You have no books or nothing. And you ask your friend to give you a piece of paper and a pencil and you're just standing there and you're freaked out. Then cut to after the fact you feel like you've lost your soul for two years and every time you would smoke <laughs> weed after the fact you're completely like like burnt like you can't even fucking move you're so like inside your own head and then you feel lost until you're in the quad your sophomore year of college and you have this spontaneous moment where you feel your kind of mind enveloping and opening up and opening up and you feel like you're tapped into the oneness of life you feel this collective consciousness you see this dove imagery and you have no sort of framework to understand it except through a you know monotheistic framework so your ego becomes untethered and you think that you're messiah and then you end up having an extreme manic episode but after the fact after that depression at least that feeling inside of you where you felt like you lost your soul that's gone you know what i mean come I, I actually do. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, we can just do what was done to me, which which is like equate weed and acid with coke and heroin. Or we can tell me that that can happen if you're not ready for acid. That's one of the things that acid can do. Or it can do this thing. Or it can, you know, uh, people with schizophrenia, it's been said, like, maybe not to do acid at all. Or maybe after you're 25 or whatever it is. Don't just do acid it's not a casual thing you can't get out of it for at least four hours like know what it is so that when it starts happening to you you can remember i'm on a drug it's true that's the problem i have with drugs is i do not have the mechanism in my brain to allow me to remember that i'm on the drug ever even with weed it's well, how like, much are you taking <laughs> exactly oh i mean you know exactly uh but i don't have much of that mechanism, you know, but I do love how liberal this show is. Chemda's endorsement for LSD. LSD, only if you're over 25, if you have schizophrenia. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> LSD, don't listen to me about it. <laughs> As usual, yeah. do the research. <laughs> uh, yeah, also, don't listen to me about it. But if you are going to listen to me, be with a friend who has a lot of experience and has positive yes. experiences with it and be connected to nature and don't be, uh, don't be a dumbass and also uh, realize that there is a connectivity of life and there is oneness there and any sort of untethered ego issues is just because you don't have a framework to kind of realize this project this process of individuation which Carl Gustav Jung J-U-N-G talked about for like a really long time and he was a disciple of Freud a much more prolific psychologist but he's been marginalized in the West because it gets it, it has a lot of really kind of controversial things when it comes to the occult but talking about how when you had that moment you were crying Hamda uh, with that epiphanal moment on LSD and you said that it was before painful before the LSD. Before the LSD, yeah. that moment, that moment, mm -hmm. Carl Jung talks about how you know evolution of consciousness 
uh, consciousness comes through pain. It comes through adversity. It comes through difficulty. That's the only way to heighten consciousness. So can we talk about that moment then, even if it was before the LSD, can we talk about what that moment was like for you and some more specifics of it, if you don't mind? It was a big, you know, um, like uh, the sixth sense when you realize what it is and then all of those pictures come to mind. It wasn't, um, you know, I don't have like always an epiphany in my enlightened moment. Sometimes it's just, oh, I've been doing this for a while. Looks like that's working, but I had to reflect on it. But this was an epiphany. It was right after I went on uh, a march for BLM and um, I saw, you know, Elsa Waith got taken a picture of as she was being arrested. I saw it on the newspaper and I saw the difference between what it looks like on a newspaper and what it looked like in real life. Then I, I flashed back to the pictures that we saw of hippies just kind of being goofy and stupid and um, and controversial. And that was the only sort of thing that we saw in druggies. And, and I saw, um, you know, enough documentaries to, to teach about, like, with the story that we got and the actual story, the similarities and like the complete differences and all of those things started coming. And I'm like, oh, that's what LSD is like. It's it's in that same like how they uh, made marijuana illegal, how like acid was legal for a while until, you know, that's it. All that negative government stuff comes in and it's stuff that, you know, you kind of hear people yell about it, but those people always look, quote, crazy, you know, because we are ranting and we are raving and um, we're trying to and, and we and we go off on tangents and we're maybe artsy or we look artsy to some people. And I didn't hear it because it came from that box, even though I I very much um, connected with, quote, freaks like I was looking for them. They felt homey when I saw them. I understood that, like, oh, this isn't freaks. The freaks are the people who are who pretend to be normal. All this stuff, like, it was all in development, being able to, like, hang out in New York City and go to open mics and be around artists and be around people who think outside the box. And all of that just kind of came there as I was making the decision to take a drug that I'll be on for four hours. I was going to be surrounded by people who I would feel comfortable if I start freaking out about it people who have taken it before, people who have a grip on it. It's all of it. When I really, really, really asked and really, really answered, the truth was, this isn't going to hurt me. So I'm not going to die. I'm not going to throw myself off a building. And it was the goofiest thing ever. It was us laughing and trying to talk to each other, but we can't. And water feels really good. And, oh, don't go outside. We don't know what's out there, but not like in a bad way. I just don't know how to manage my legs right now. And, oh, did I just laugh out of nowhere? Are we laughing at the same thing? I don't know. And then quiet for however long. I don't know if that was two hours or two minutes. And who cares? These things are swirling. It was lovely. It was so much more mild and it didn't have any of that body like you know uh stuff that's like uppers I can't deal with it because it starts racing my body it didn't have that I didn't feel like throwing up or you know maybe I had like a a fun poop but it wasn't you know (laughs) it wasn't anything worrisome or you know like oh I gotta go you know it was all very nice well I, from that description, I still think that kids in middle school and seventh grade, everybody should mandatorily have to read A People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn. But I think anybody that uh, is allowed to run for or go into government, to Congress, should absolutely have to trip on acid. 
But there, you know, your intentions don't change on on acid. Um, you, like I said, you can't force people to be enlightened. There's, uh, there's so many other um, forces that are happening that we've accepted that, you know, these people are not looking for the same thing necessarily. They are looking for corruption. They are looking for the next right step just for them, not thinking of other people. These are people who govern us. Well, I was kind of saying it tongue-in-cheek, but you took it to a really serious spot I right keep there. doing that. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, don't say you're sorry. I'm it was sorry. hilarious. You know what oh, I mean? no. Um, no, it was hilarious. Also, though, it did make me think, though, what if, like, yeah, what if, like, some, you know, some, like, maniacal reactionary politician trips on acid and then uses that insight, you know, for you know, their own machinations instead of to try to unite people. Like, here's a somewhat of an analogous example. For example, uh, you know, Paul Ryan, who used to be like uh, the, uh, I guess he was the, yeah, he was the Speaker of the House um, uh, and the Republican when they had a majority under uh, Obama. He, he used to work out every morning listening to Rage Against the Machine, <laughs> which is hilarious. And then Tom Morello, the guitarist from Rage Against the Machine, you know, he, he kind of like, you know, he's kind of like he said, he goes like, Paul Ryan, you are the machine we are raging against. He's yeah. like, I do not <laughs> care or want you to be listening to my fucking music, you know. So you're right. I guess everything can be uh, can be co-opted. Um, but I do think I do think, though, that this evolution of consciousness theory that it can happen while we're alive. I think that there is something uh, there is something to that. And and it also kind of gets me to the point of something that, you know, you kind of mentioned is that, you know, I think like this point, how fucked up our institutions are and and I'm sorry, in any real meaningful way, all up and down the line, I don't really think that our corporate government and their, uh, you know, their corporate media lackeys. And by that, I just want to lay it out. I see it as the big businesses, the big corporations the corporate government and the corporate media are all the same fucking thing. They're all, they're all, they're all uh, three different heads of the same beast. It's and I, I really do internalize that, and I do believe that. So so much of me, and yes, you absolutely still have to, you know, fight within that. You absolutely still have to, you know, care about electoral politics, and you absolutely do have to kind of fight within those three systems. Uh, but also, I think more than ever, we really need to realize that we need to help each other. You know, we have to help each other outside of these institutions because we cannot rely on them. And I think that we're seeing that more and more. Um, and that gets to uh, one of the great, great things that you're that you're doing right now is, you know, in addition to the the, the constant content that, uh, you know, that Keith and the girl is putting out and, you know, only in New York is putting out all these podcast projects that you have. Uh, in addition to that, you're doing this, the, uh, you know, OMAT group, uh, which we're going to talk about. I did think in my mind, Hemda, I was like, oh, you know, we got to, in order for us, for the listeners, for the psychos to kind of like understand how amazing this is, we have to go in the order of I ask Hemda how she's doing. Then, you know, we talk about how like fucked up her life is and all of this like tragic shit that people are going to be like, holy shit. And then... <laughs> They hear after that about how like amazing you're doing, how you're this like total <laughs> triumph for the human spirit. And it's like, what? And then because all of that credibility has been built up, we talk about <laughs> OMAT. But I think what we're going to do, we're going to talk about OMAT because I want you I want the psychos to hear this because basically, you know, 
uh, throughout the course of the podcast and talking to people thus far, you know, I've touched on very different things kind of, but it's like, well, what you've streamlined here and I was so grateful to get to do it last week because I really wanted to be like, okay, what's going on here? Well, you've streamlined. It's like, it's like the, the, the sort of, for lack of a better way to describe it, the bite-sized mental wellness course that you have provided for people is a fucking gift. And to me, it is a very, very much a, uh, an example of what I believe is this us needing to help each other because beyond that, and this is, you know, put your, you know, put a pin in this psychos. I really think we need to create separate institutions and separate from this whole fucking corporate situation, but that's, uh, that's for another mm-hmm. fucking podcast. Um, but, uh, and that is actually happening in its, in its, uh, in its nation sense in all of these mutual aid groups that are propping up all over the country. Hello. Uh, the mutual aid revolution is happening and programs like OMAT are a very important part of it. Uh, so before we get into your tragic, tragic, tragic tragic life that I would not wish upon my greatest enemy. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. You're wonderful. Come on. But uh, (laughs) you have to go on someone's podcast for 10 years before you can say that about them on a podcast. Just so you know. Um, But uh, go ahead. Can we please? I'm just kidding. Can we please talk about OMAT first? Yeah, well, actually, Omat did come out of all those tragedies and difficulties and the dark night and the whole thing. Um, uh, there was a point where I just uh, couldn't take one hour at a time and I couldn't take one day at a time and I really had to take one breath at a time. I didn't know, like, my intuition went to shit because I was being gaslighted and... Um, Uh, I had open heart surgery and I had the big giant tumor and like all the stuff that you can keep listing autoimmune disease and broke my leg and uh, caught my husband cheating, like all happened at the same time, which I think that's how things happen. They don't happen one at a time and they become unmanageable and it was becoming unmanageable. And I really thought, um, do I deal with this the same way? You know, because of the tumor, um, I had a heads up that my life was about to be very difficult. So because I had a heads up this time, I really did ask myself, is there another way to deal with this? Because I know the darkness is coming. And I really don't want to go through that again. There's going de- to be depression. There's going to be mania. I'm going to think I'm doing well. And I'm going to make all these bad decisions, thinking that like everything feels so good after that depression. Is there another cycle? I started actually Googling how to be happy. I started reading books about it, TED Talks. Um, just how to manage. And it was all the eight exercises that I put in OMAT. But, you know, it's like, oh, let's, you don't just run for a block that's never someone's goal. It's like, why don't you set a goal of running a marathon? And then when you achieve, it's like, you know what? That sounds exhausting. I can't do any of this. I'm not sure if I can walk. Like, this is crazy. So it's really, to me, the transitions of life that become very difficult. Like, you hear some news and you have to respond to it and and you just can't sometimes. So I'm trying to help myself with transitions by doing these exercises. These are manageable exercises. There's stuff that you can do while you pee. Um, you know, and there's stuff that you can do when you're being gentle on yourself and you don't want to give yourself the drill instructor. So I think that I needed that in order to stay just not falling, you know, to just kind of have a ground underneath me constantly is a task sometimes. And these are the exercises that helped me. This is the knowledge that helped me. This is the system that helped me. And um, I thought, 
what if I do share this with people? Like, maybe it'll just be just for me, you know, but the response has been that it, it does help and that it is doing the stuff that it did for me. It looks like it is doing it for other people. I was ready for it to just be for me. You know, you just kind of have your own way of doing it. But it did start with gratitude, which I heard you speak on the podcast, of course. Uh, I thought that was so corny. Make a list of gratitude. Like, yeah, sure, if you're rich or if you're, you know, doing well or if, you know, your parents are still talking to you or whatever list of things. But I learned a little bit more what gratitude is. And I promised myself when I wake up, instead of running the list of I have to do this and here comes another day, I would try to interrupt that because I read that you can interrupt that system. And I fought myself on it. I'm like, no, this is what I'm supposed to be thinking. Like there's just madness going on in my head fighting to interrupt it. And I said, let me just do it because I said I would. And that's, it's maybe could be manageable now. I started running the gratitude list and all of a sudden my body changed, my mind changed, and I recognized that I can reach for something other than darkness. And I still, you know, here and there fight it, but the exercise has been um, building that muscle so much that I can uh, not respond in that, you know, Ah, like, uh, I have to answer now. I can't take a pause. This this hurts me, so I'm going to, you know, respond to it, and I'm going to do the bad things, and I am allowed to eat this cupcake, and, you know, I deserve to, you know, be mean right here. It's just that pause of what's really happening right now. Yeah, let me just jump in and say with that, with gratitude, that was one of the aspects of, I think, my mental wellness uh, regimen that, has been more more recently me sort of like folding into it for whatever reason that piece was always somewhat missing where I'd be like I'm appreciative of what I have but right. to actually actively write out what I'm appreciative of, or to actively take the time to uh, ruminate specifically on that um yeah that came to the fore more with hearing you talk about it and with hearing uh, my friend Hans uh, Hans Freiwald who I recently uh interviewed talk about it as well and another aspect of it now when I I look at it from in terms of those, uh, you know, evolutionary holdover uh, traits is that we have this thing where we we also have this need for tribal status uh, in order to achieve tribal status because it's associated with, you know, kind of like uh, alpha status, which is which contributes to like who's going to be able to reproduce more and stuff like that. So we have this weird tribal status thing where we're not grateful for what we're not necessarily immediately grateful for what we have or seeing how we're doing relative to other people. We're always like looking up at somebody who's doing better than us. And it kind of like never stops all the way up the line. So I think uh, ruminating on that and being aware of that impulse to be like the, to, to have that lacking mind, that non uh, that non that non gracious mind. It, there's an evolutionary aspect to that, too. Yeah, it could be. I mean, if we keep looking at the top of the mountain and not look at, you know, hey, I did a mile today up this thing, then where's the satisfaction? You're not going to be satisfied when you're at the top of the mountain either. Yeah, come to it diminishes it. You're right. What we have to realize is there is no mountain. Right, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, so please tell tell us some more. Uh, so OMAT, with based on everything that I read, you know, we have to exercise our physical body. We have to uh, um, meditate, but meditating was too much for me. I went on a 10-day silent retreat. Um, 
which was great and also honestly sucked also. Uh, I did start talking to myself, which I think was actually good. I started talking to trees. You know, you just kind of get <laughs> desperate for um, something. But then it, it's funny because when I say that uh, to Xerxes, he's like, oh, so you started appreciating nature and uh, just kind of being. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I don't know why I feel the need to make fun of it. And you know, describe it as boring because it still is all of those things to me. I can't just push myself into enlightenment, but I did try it. And I tried, uh, you know, chanting with Hare Krishnas and going camping by myself, the whole like, you know, reading things like radical acceptance, learning about every, everyone references Buddha, like, and, and that whole system of, uh, you know, life is suffering. I had to agree with that. Like, Oh, why, why do bad things happen? Like, that's not even a thing. Bad things are always happening, always will. Like, there is no, now I feel fully happy. I'm going to maintain this happiness. I'm always going to be happy. And when I fall from that, I fail. And when I fall from that, I'm not the person I want to be or can be or whatever. No, it's part of it, grief, all of it. So just kind of being aware of it, allowing myself to cry and like go through an emotion rather than going around. And later it's not my thing, but like you punch a wall or something, you know, whatever my version of punching a wall is, it's probably more self-induced harm than punching someone else. I can't even, that's not even in my fantasy. I try. I'm like, Oh, I'm so mad. I'm going to punch him in the face. I'm like, no, that seems like just, no, I want them to be, to be very upset about whatever it is that I'm upset about. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like uh, part of the, uh, y- your process with this and part of the, uh, of the par- part of OMAD is just, it is understanding, it is understanding reality. It is that insight that different emotional states, they're, they're, they're transient. You know, you're not going to just maintain happiness forever. Things are moment to moment. You're not going to, you know, a sadness is not always going to be there uh, either. And it's just that when we're in these feelings, we can feel like they're going to be there uh, forever. So, I mean, cultivating a practice like, uh, like OMAD is, is just helps. And so it's basically, uh, if you want to just give folks like uh, uh, an overview, it's basically, it's an eight step uh, process, right? Yeah, so OMAT is a series of eight exercises that all happen one minute at a time. So the idea is you can do one of these exercises, and that's your whole routine. You could do it on your own. So the first week is giving gratitude, one minute every morning gratitude. And the next week is just doing one minute of meditation. So it's manageable. When you join the OMAT club, I will walk you through all eight in 15 minutes. So walk you into it, walk you out of it, and we do it together. It has accountability, and it has um, the community that I think is really important. So it just adds a couple of elements in there. It makes you accountable to come in. It builds a community by talking about it after, if you can stay after. And it fits in the schedule. So uh, if you go to keithandthegirl.com slash OMAT club, OMAT one minute at a time club, uh, you can sign up one week at a time and just come in and sort of uh, try something else if the thing that you're doing is not working. And then if the thing that I'm doing is not working, then try something else. And that's what you did. And give yourself a check mark for that. Try it. Yeah, I I 100% uh, recommend you psychos that you do give it a try uh, because it's the sort of thing where it's like, you know, maybe you know some of these things like, oh, gratitude, meditation. Yeah. But when you 
when you're part of a group and someone is facilitating it and you, you know, you make an investment in it and you know that it's the time uh, every day that you're going to go do it uh, and you get to be connected to a community while you're doing it, it really is a helpful thing. Like, for example, for myself, uh, I've been doing yoga, y'all, like almost every day, dudes. My yoga practice is getting fucking tight. I did nine days in a row. Then wow. I skipped two days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I skipped two days because I had a couple things. Then I've done it the past two days in a row. I had to skip today because I was working on stuff. But I'm doing it, you know? And that's because I'm still connected to the, the, the studio that I would go to the classes in person in Brooklyn. I do them over Zoom because even though I could, you know, take classes for free on YouTube, I can afford that monthly fee, which is... Honestly, it's pretty. It was always pretty reasonable, but I can still afford it. So I want to support them. I want to support that business because you know the only businesses that are going to be left coming out at the end of this are these humongous mm. corporate behemoths. That's another conversation. Put a pin <laughs> on it. We gotta separate. But uh, what I, what I'm saying is, because I know that I have a group to go to and I can schedule it in my day, uh, and I put some investment in it. That that makes me go to it. You know. So. Yeah, I mean, OMAD Group is is a great. It's it, you know what it is too, it's a great initiation thing to get some good habits going. You know what I mean? Because meditation is a very important part of my uh, daily practice as much as it can be. Uh, so, so yeah, so it's like, but to get started with meditation is tough. So to doing something ritualistically, even if it's a minute a day, is a really really great way to get going. Yeah, it's stuff that if you don't like it or if you're like, ah, that's not me, as soon as we start that exercise, it's almost done. So you could sort of like dip in. Maybe you like it more than you thought or maybe it's more doable than you thought or maybe you just don't want to do it but you did it for a minute and that still changes something. It still tells you that you're a person of action. It still gives you that exercise. It still worked, you know, whatever it was going to do, it might have still worked, you know. You were able to maybe focus on your breath for 10 seconds longer than you normally can. That changes your body, changes your mind. It just does. It's true. It's true. I mean, there's a lot of, yeah, and I do think that folks will, I think more and more, there's different folks talking about, you know, uh, mental wellness, mental health and stuff like that. And of course, there's a massive, you know, industry around it, you know, in this capitalist system, everything's going to be co-opted, it's going to be monetized right. every which way, all that sort of stuff. Uh, however, there is a reason why this stuff keeps coming up every which way and you're hearing about it. It's because some of these things are a cliche for a reason. And that's and oftentimes why all of these things are called like a, a mental wellness, a mental health, a motivation, a gratitude practice, a yoga practice is because you do have to constantly keep practicing it because we have uh, because it's basically like our minds against our own <laughs> well-being, you know, so it's like this constant battle. So when there are resources for it, I think it is OK for us to consistently keep talking about it. It's almost like we forget about it uh, at and it, it's helpful to reinforce it all the time. And I really do think that we need to help uh, each other moving forward. I mean, things are going to continue to get gnarly uh, in this country, uh, you know, economically, emotionally. My talk therapist that I uh, that I got through uh, BetterHelp.com, again, no endorsement, um, even though I think that every other uh, podcast and their mom... <laughs> 
has a betterhealth.com <laughs> endorsement. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> but anyway, I do actually think that they're that they're great and that they are uh, pretty affordable. And you can just put like if you're having financial, you know, if you if you're if you have financial hardship, uh, you can easily qualify for financial aid and you get 25 percent off, whatever. So this is how fucked up the health insurance system is. I qualify for Medicaid in New York, but because I'm currently in New Jersey, it just is so much easier for me to just use that. Whatever. That's a whole other story. Um, uh, but anyway, the person that I'm talking to, they said that they've noticed that people who have already had underlying mental health issues that they've been working on are doing better than a lot of folks who are presenting mental health issues for the first time in this difficult time with the, uh, you know, with the pandemic and everything like that, uh, which I thought was interesting. So what I want to get at is two things. First, uh, when I say we really need to help each other, uh, does that resonate with you, Hamda? And what do you think about that? Well, I I always have to ask how, like how how do we want to help? Because I think it's important to think about or to actually ask the people how do you want to be helped? Because my problem sometimes is deciding how to help, and then I it's to everyone's detriment. So I I would help by 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 trying to keep my word and, you know, not lash out on somebody else. And if they do ask for help, you know, telling them the truth, if I can help or not, and not, not trying to get hero status. Like I do want to help. I want to be there. But, um, I think it is part of the addiction to run and to save someone and you both end up drowning. So, I I want to help by being the person that um, if you do call me, I hope I am there for you. Um, uh, I I'm gonna take care of myself so that I can know what it feels like to be taken care of, so I can maybe pass that on to somebody else in my regular life. Just making those small decisions of, you know, not yelling at people, not um, you know yelling at customer service or getting agitated, and just being the best version of myself. So that's what I'm putting out every time I am coming across someone. I don't know if that's helpful enough, you know, also obviously donating and, and, um, and giving of yourself, but asked like putting it where it really does work. You know, I think that's completely fair. I guess, I guess what I mean by helping each other is, I guess I'm, I guess I'm leaning towards that, that, that mutual aid capacity, you know, that sort of understanding where we're all each other have, you know, so not the sort of thing where it's like, oh, I'm going to help for this kind of like hero's status or savior complex sort of thing, which absolutely happens. And yes, absolutely, you know, donate money if you can, if you have extra funds. But it's basically a, a little bit of a different paradigm from the, you know, the kind of the, the charity based helping compared to the mutual aid thing, where instead of it being like this hierarchical thing where it's like, OK, I gave this money. So I gave this charity instead. It's a mutual aid thing where it's like, oh, OK, what are you lacking? Oh, you're food insecure. OK, well, I have enough uh, resources that I have access to extra food. Oh, but you know what? It would really jam me up if I had to like, you know, pay a lot of money to get something fixed in my house that I don't know how to fix. Oh, but you have that skill set. Let's uh, let's create a network of people that kind of lay out the skills that they have, what they need, what they're lacking and kind of create this separate system to help each other. You know, that's and if beautiful. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. And 
Yeah, I mean, I came up with it myself. I trademarked it. Um, <laughs> if anybody wants to use it, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, no, but don't it's, you that's, have yeah. to do that? And com- isn't that what community is, right? Like, even if you're talking about the comedy community, and it gets you know infested with corrosion, of course. But the the real thing is like if I have this information on how to get how to be a writer or how to podcast, pass that on to somebody else, and then that person will either give you some information back or just put out a podcast thanks to you yeah we actually we do have to share information and help each other why not yeah yeah and so i think that it's the sort of thing where part of that and people do in all sort of different different capacities you know so the fact that you know on keith and the girl you and keith every day you guys are you guys are talking about all sorts of issues. You guys are talking about topical things in a, in a funny way. And you're also talking about everything. You're talking about emotional issues, social issues, all that sort of stuff. And because you're both sharing so candidly, that provides that provi- that provides a service for other people to feel less isolated, too. That is, a, that is a mutual aid thing because then you're getting this positive feedback from them. You're getting, uh, you know, appreciation from the KATG clan, which you guys love and is, a dri- is part of the driving force for you guys. So that, right? there whether uh, everybody's fully aware of it or not that is in my opinion that's a mutual aid uh you know situation yeah i think that that ties to you know be yourself and then like you'll get the things like if you if what i like is talking in this way then i'll get people who listen in this way and i know that some people won't like the way i talk about uh things but then i still get to be myself there's an audience and a friend and a community for everything so the closer you are to who you really want to be the more you're going to attract that we give to each other and we help each other because now we know how to help you because you're really being yourself yeah i think you're right and i think that that the process of evolution of consciousness in this plane of existence while we're alive is us becoming more human and the more actually human uh, we become, the more connected to the rest of humanity we become. Uh, Hemda, now that you have sufficiently uh, showed the psychos how insightful you are, how caring <laughs> you are, uh, how compassionate you are, and um, you know how, uh, how thought out you are in terms of your mental wellness uh, and mental health uh, regimen and your, and your journey and where you're at, can you please give us a little bit more of a deep dive into the tragic, tragic, tragic <laughs> times of Hemda Khalili, please. Okay. Uh, I think these tragic <laughs> times that when people ask me about tragic times started when I found out about a football-sized tumor in my chest. It uh, pushed my lung to not actually be working, just squished it, and it moved my heart into my shoulder. Is this where you're talking about? Right? I was just going to say, everybody loves football. It's America's yeah. <laughs> favorite sport. <laughs> yep. And now you could play it with this giant sized tumor. And uh, I had to get open heart surgery to remove it. When they removed it, they had to remove uh, a nerve that froze my diaphragm. So I have a frozen diaphragm. It came with an autoimmune disease that, you know, doesn't go away called myasthenia gravis, where your uh, muscles are uh, challenged and so sometimes I can lose muscle in my arms or legs it hasn't happened much because I I'm pretty lucky about that disease it could also droop your eye it comes with a lot of things um and while 
I was recovering from open heart surgery and uh, having the recognition of all of this, uh, all of these health issues, I found out that my husband at the time was trolling on Craigslist for women, asking them to meet him, to sit on his face in hotels, and, you know, found out that he had had uh, sexual email correspondence with some steady women, uh, and just all this uh, gaslighting, uh, where he is, where he actually was, um, all of it was coming to a head. I found emails, I found, you know, and even still, when I was looking at those emails, I was like, man, this must be wrong, I'm reading it wrong. And I noticed, like, wow, I really like to tell myself some kind of story that's happening. I'm trying to convince myself this isn't happening. And then um, I had to go back to work after two months and, uh, you know, pick up, you know, whatever pieces I dropped there. And shortly after, I got into a couple of bike accidents and then um, and smashed my face in and got robbed while... I, while people were pretending to help me, they just robbed me. Uh, and then shortly after that, I fell and the bottom bone of my left leg left the top bone of my left leg, just a random fall. And uh, I still need one more surgery from that. I had to have two procedures. Uh, wow. Yeah, I really did go through <laughs> some stuff. <laughs> I'll and tell you. Trump got elected. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I'll tell you, you know what annoys me the most about all of that is that it makes it really difficult for me to complain about my shit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, Hamda. You are, you've been through this shit, dude. You are a triumph of the human spirit because that's what it's like. I'll say this to Andrea all the time. Uh, yeah, psychos, we have this... Uh, this great mutual friend, uh, Andrea Allen, who you probably know about, has an amazing podcast uh, called uh, Hot Mess Comedy Hour with uh, Emily Lubin. Um, so please check that out. But uh, also, Chemda, it's like, I'll say to her, I'll be like, dude, just like the comfortability in Chemda's skin, like the positivity of spirit and just like the ability to smile and laugh shit off and just really, truly not have like a cynical, bitter outlook on life is just, it is really, in my opinion, a triumph of the human spirit. It's fucking awesome, you know? Well, thank you, but it's it's not always like that. I am sometimes. Shut up, it's always yeah. like that. You're a highly enlightened being. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Take the compliment. Know you you no, know I it know. doesn't stay on the upswing, but uh, uh, I'm trying to stay as as close to just reality as possible. That keeps me calm. I, you know what? I'm okay. I there's something that I want to bring up, and I've never. It's always been. It's always like sat with me, and this may reveal something negative about myself or a bias about myself. And I want to. I want to be vulnerable enough to, to explore that and see if you're okay talking about it a little bit. So your your husband who cheated on you, who <laughs> in despicable that's his, that's his full name now. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. Your husband who cheated on you in despicable ways. Uh, who gaslit you the whole nine yards in in during a time like during an incredibly incredibly difficult time of what you're dealing with? I realized that it was like it, and this might be an unconscious bias I have or something. It bothers me more because he's trans because he's a trans man. If I'm uh, going to be honest with myself, how what's come? up with that? What's <laughs> up with that? I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why. Maybe it's like a fucked up, maybe it's a fucked up uh, 
bias I have, anti-trans bias I have, where I'm okay with people being trans, but it's like, wow, this trans man gets to be with this amazing, amazing woman, and he does this. I know that it would still bother me if it was a cisgender man, but I don't know why it, it, it bothers me more. Why do you think? Because the, the problem is, is we don't know a lot of trans people because they've had to hide for a long time. And he becomes the spokesperson. And um, maybe as a spokesperson, we expect them to be a different thing. But that's pretty unfair. He is just another man. I think I think that might be what it is. It might be the sort of thing where it's like, oh, wow. I mean, you know, this is this is of course because I know through and through uh, in both my heart and my mind that I'm supportive of the relationship. And I think that it's, you know, that dynamic of relationship, 100 percent and not not only intellectually, but also emotionally. Uh but I guess you're right. I think it's the sort of thing where it's like, well, if this is going to happen and that person does that, you know, it's like, yeah, I guess it is, it's centering too much on it because it is a less typical relationship, you know? Yeah. Well, he can't yeah. be like no one could be a model citizen just because like uh, take um, Martin Luther King, who has been known to cheat on his wife. So, you know, you would think someone who blah, 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 blah. That's not really how humans work. It's not you would think he's so great in these other places. Like, uh, you know, Chappelle is a genius, but he has these blind spots when he, when he comes to uh, talking about Michael Jackson and um, uh, trans people. Like, there's just what you know, you know. But he's he's not going to be a great person because he made you understand trans a little bit more or gave you that perspective from a, a, a real life, like in person way. He's just going to be a man. And I'm going to be the person who, why did I want or need that? I have to ask myself that. Why did I want someone who I kind of can tell things were bad and I kept going? And why does my devotion swing in this way where I can... I don't know, was I taught to just be so devoted to the person and um, then not see the truth based on that? Like, I just have to look at my part on it, but he can't represent every man for me. He can't represent every trans person for me. That's how our terrible biases start forming into bigger things because that's unfair for, you know, whatever community he can land in because of whatever he looks like or is or where he was born. I can't do that. I would love to say I hate all men, you know, like, isn't this what they do? Isn't that what you mean? Boys will be boys. You know, I, I don't want to do that. Like, that's not really how it works if I'm really being realistic. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I just wanted to figure out a way uh, for me to get you on my podcast to defend your uh, ex-husband <laughs> who cheated on you while you had cancer. I'm um, happy to say a lot of good things about it. He was an incredible actor, you know, um, loved watching him on stage. Uh, might have a different perspective now. Maybe I don't want to go to his plays now, but, you know, that's just, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have stayed that we were in a nine-year relationship. There had to have been really, really, really good, enjoyable things, you know, even though there were really, really, really bad ones. Otherwise, like, I have to look even deeper. Why do I really, really like bad things? I don't know. There's, 
there's only my side to figure out. I can't keep figuring out his side. Why would he want to cheat? Why if he's in this kind of relationship? I don't know. People do what they do. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think it's important. I think that's an important point you made where it's like I with 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 groups that we don't have much interaction with or don't know much about, there is a tendency to uh see those groups monolithically see everybody as the same as representing the entire sort of thing um and especially when you speak so well about this thing that these other people don't know about because they're not in it so now you're such a good speaker you have a lot of empathy because you're able to relay this information and you know connect with other people that connection is in that part of what you're talking to that person about. In these other parts, you guys might not have the same connection. It might not be a good fit. It might be terrible for you. Whatever it is, take what you like and leave the rest as much as you can. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's I think that's that's a more nuanced and I think honestly a more valid assessment, you know? Um so okay, so now, you know, that we took a little uh, you know, a little journey down the rabbit hole of uh, Hemda uh, trauma uh, situation. <laughs> I don't know. I, I should have been able to come up with something more clever there. Let's see. The Hemda cabal of cantankerous uh, oh, calamities. Yes, there it is. Hemda cabal of cantankerous calamities. Uh, let's now uh, discuss what you've been able to do uh, and how you have, and you've kind of already touched on this, how you've come through and how have you cultivated this positive uh, frame of mind, you know, what, how, what are the mechanisms? What, how'd you do it? How'd you get to where you're at? Because from my perspective, I see you as a very uh, compassion, compassionate, uh, enlightened, positive uh, force in the world who has a lot, a lot, a lot of great things uh, ahead of themselves to continue to do. Uh, thank you. And, um, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it really was with all of those things. I saw the next wave that I was going to have to go through. I saw the depression coming. I saw that I would, you know, that causes the next uh, wave of manic. That causes the next uh, poor reaction to things, thinking that it's it's great. And um, I did different work. I, I gave in. Like, I always thought I was doing the right thing. And, you know, you're trying to help. You're trying to be a good person. How come these bad things happen to me? And I I kind of gave up. I gave up thinking that I know how to do it. I uh, accepted that somebody else probably knows how to do it better. And I'm going to learn about that person and, and what they did. And I collected a bunch of information. A lot of it has to do with community, with when you don't want to talk to people, make sure that that's when you are talking to people. All these little steps that I gave myself room to have because, you know, you have open heart surgery, you're forced to sit down. That force of sitting down reminds you that maybe you don't have to go to work as much as you thought you did. You can take two months off. Why are we waiting for tragedy to happen? I'm just, I was just trying to do everything one thought at a time. I was trying to go against my usual patterns of if I'm feeling sad, I isolate as much as possible and put on a good face. Um, so I was trying to tell people what I was going through. I was sitting in, you know, anonymous groups, just crying and telling them my real story. And that practice of crying and telling your real story in a space where no one's going to go, ah, you should have and you could have. And, you know, what you should do now with just like, this is what's happening. And then just hearing what happened with them, 
and relating and sitting in a space where you just get to be yourself and say the real things. So you could do that in your diary also. You could do that just with one person that you chose. Um, you could do that with a therapist, but you got to be doing it. All of these things are not an option. It's not an option to eat. You have to eat. So I'm trying to find a way to eat right. You know, you, you have to exercise. You cannot actually sit on your couch and lay down. Your muscles will atrophy. You will get diseased. So trying to do that. So the OMAT thing came up because I really just needed these little moments at a time to even tell myself that there is this other thing that I can do. Like to show myself that you can you can be the person who does yoga, even though when you were a kid, that was considered some wussy exercise that's just sitting around and groaning. That's not what it is. Now I know the truth. Now I don't have to roll my eyes when I say I do yoga, you know, but it's still a practice of this is good for me. Let me check on that. Is it still good for me? Is this working? Is there another way that I'm not seeing? Should I call someone to see if there is another way that I'm not seeing? What if I don't want to? Can I still get my physical body to make that call when my brain is saying, stop that, I just want to be by myself? It's fighting the things that were working or weren't working and I was still doing it and being conscious of it enough to have the energy and tone the muscle that makes this other thing able to happen. It's it's a constant. It is a practice. Like you said, it's very important to say that you're practicing. You're not done. You're not done looking in your brain. You're not done exercising. You're not done breathing. You're not done eating. You don't get to be done. So you can be like, you could skip. You're like, oh, I didn't do yesterday. And if you can bring yourself to do it again today, then if you don't say that counts, if you just focus on, well, I missed a day, I thought I was going to do this all these days in a row, like if you have the ability to think these negative thoughts, there might be a possibility that you have the ability to have these positive thoughts, but you do have to practice them as much as you've practiced these negative ones. And that's weird and uncomfortable. And maybe we're supposed to run away from discomfort, but ask a question before you run, ask a question before you say yes, ask a question before you say no, and see where a different answer can come from this time. See if that works. And if it doesn't, see if you can go to something else, but ask the question. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Does that answer your question? (laughs) It does. It does. It absolutely does. And yeah. And like you said, you know, and it doesn't among- always work. I don't want to interrupt you, but it doesn't always work. This isn't my state of mind all the time. Like, you know, I, I, I start freaking out a little bit. I'm just saying that I can catch it a little sooner now and a little more often now. So I'm grateful for that. But I still have to practice. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Sorry. Is, no, no, you're fine. You're fine. You're great. It was. I was just going to say that it is that aspect of having to practice it because you... Yeah, because it kind of it kind of slips away. That's the that's the aspect. That's how our brains. That's how our minds work. They wander. Uh, they go to these negative places, um, or they go to these unrealistic positive places too. Uh, so it's the idea of maintaining a sense of reality is a constant practice. Uh, and and one of the things you were saying, where it's like you know, oh, you know, people. I used to see yoga as like, oh, it's just this weird thing. So it's like I see it like that. It's like this wussy thing. And that actually still is a th- a thing that that 
that uh, men think in, in our culture uh, that yoga is for for women. Like I always find it so interesting that when I was going to yoga in studio and now doing it here over Zoom still, it's like other, there's other men in the class, but it's very, very, very relatively few and far in between compared to women. And I'm just like thinking, I'm like, what is going on here? I was like, are guys just much more comfortable with wanting to develop chronic lower back pain when they get older. <laughs> like I don't understand that. Number one. Um, number two, I don't understand the thing that people go is like, Oh, I'm not flexible. I can't do yoga. What? It's like, that's the opposite. It's like, yeah, if you're not flexible, then you should do yoga. Cause it's going to help with that. Uh, it's not a competitive thing. I'm not like good at yoga. <laughs> you guys, I'm just consistent with it. So I've gotten better at it and I appreciate what it's done to uh my my body and i appreciate what it's done uh to my mind to have that 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 cultivative that meditative practice through 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 the yoga as well another thing too for any uh, male psychos listening at home uh if you really look into it back in the day when yoga was first getting started only men were allowed to do yoga i didn't know huh yeah Um, what do you think about that and that With a little bit of luck, if we work hard enough, we can get things back to when it was like that, fellas. <laughs> huh? We could boot the women out of this thing, get it back to when yoga was great. Make yoga great again. Make <laughs> yoga great again. JK, 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 JK. Um, Hemda, okay. Yeah. Um, before we get to this last question, uh, which is going to be interesting because you guys, you psychos, you didn't even know, we are going to talk about... The future of podcasting with a podcasting legend, pioneer, Hemda of Keith and the Girl. Unbelievable this is happening. Unbelievable. Nobody asked for it. You're getting it. (laughs) (laughs) But before that, I wanted to double back to one thing I wrote down on my pad, is that when you said, when you had your epiphanal moment before, uh, you know, before the acid, you took the acid, helped solidify it, all that sort of stuff, and then you said it changed your opinion, your mindset about a number of things, one of which being how you viewed the hippies. It's not just being these, like, you know, weirdo, drugged-out people. Uh, In my mind, I was like, oh, maybe she means that she saw the hippie as this, she started seeing the hippie movement as this anti-establishment movement, as this counterculture movement, as this anti-war movement, as this anti-nuclear war movement, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, Is that what you meant by that at all? Yeah, but I also, you know, I also saw the negative stuff. I saw that, um, you know, probably some people used the term hippie to just call themselves hippie so that they don't have to work. Some people were, um, you know... the thing that we were told hippies were. Yes, some people were just in it for the drugs. Some people were just in it for the chicks. Some people um, just didn't know where to go and were running away from home. But um, they they weren't... Uh, they, they were just trying to find peace. And that, again, was seen as this wussy thing. Like, just peace, man. They weren't this um, lazy... Um, you know, just I what's the problem, man? But some of them were. And a lot of them is what I saw when I was marching and what I saw, like what I see in the atmosphere happening when, you know, there is like a, a small uprising right now. But some of it, it's like, oh, these are just people who lived in the time where uh, these clothings that the, the clothing was actually just normal. And they're just depicted as these sort of like aggressive uh, movement and the aggression part of them was actually really beautiful. You, they were yelling for us and um, trying for us and sitting around inconveniencing themselves for us. 
um, and and speaking the stuff that we may not know. And so however we were listening to them, I think the media wasn't um, completely honest about everything, about the, the well-roundedness or the, the forward motion that they are making and how much people were against them. It wasn't just, oh, it's a hippie, be gentle on them. They were being arrested and they were putting themselves in danger for uh, a lot of people, including themselves, but for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I mean, I I agree with that assessment, you know. Uh, I think that, yeah, the hippies have kind of been miscategorized and sort of, you know, seen in a, you know, and not seen in a three-dimensional uh, capacity. But I also agree with you. You're absolutely right that for some of them, like you were saying, that's kind of just where the party was at. You know, they're like, yeah. oh, cool. If I put on this tie-dye shirt and smoke this joint, I'm going to get laid. I'm going to go do that, you know? So I think that was absolutely part of it. And you can totally see that because so many of the people that participated in the counterculture of the 60s ended up becoming, you know, like basically turned into corporate America in a lot of ways. They ended up becoming these business people, not everybody, but a lot of them did. They're these boomers that just kind of like fell into the establishment and they look back at those days as their greatest days. There's some that have kind of maintained more radicalized folks, people like, you know, Angela Davis, uh, former Black uh, Black uh, Panther Party member, et cetera, and so many others. Uh, but there's a lot that rolled into uh, the establishment and, uh you know, and have contributed to, I think, uh, in great part, a lot of the problems we have today. Um, uh, but there absolutely have been people who, that, during this time that were very, very outspokenly anti-war, um, anti-Vietnam War and stuff like that. That was that was huge, huge, huge uh, a movement, anti-nuclear uh, proliferation, nuclear war and stuff like that. However, the, uh, you know, the anti-nuclear war sentiment, which is, of course, quite, quite valid, in my uh, opinion, has now had the effect of uh, what's gotten lumped into that is uh, anti-nuclear power plant uh, sentiment when, because of technologies that have been, been suppressed, i.e. having a thorium-based uh, nuclear power plant compared to a uranium-based one, a thorium-based one is actually uh, considerably uh, safer. The half-life of the radioactive material is less, and because of certain cooling systems, uh, the idea for spillage is considerably, considerably uh, reduced, and storage can take place on site, and it is incredibly uh, uh, more difficult, if not impossible, to actually uh, weaponize uh, this, uh, this type of nuclear uh, materials that if it was absolutely used to uh, be in part of our energy mix would drastically reduce carbon in addition to renewables, which unfortunately are not energy dense and cause a lot of uh, carbon uh, footprint in order to create, let alone all of the rare earth elements that we have to extract for all of them from third world countries that uh continue to um, exploit other people. There's a documentary called Thorium, The Far Side of Nuclear. Unfortunately, it's just on Amazon Prime. Look it up. Put a pin in it. We're not going to talk about it right now. I know that was a little bit controversial what I brought up right there. I don't want to talk about it. Anyway, Chemda, the future of podcasting. <laughs> the future of podcasting? I think we just went into it. It was a vortex. <laughs> I think we're there now. <laughs> that's how you. That's how you. I just. I just. I just. Uh, what's the. Uh, what's that movie? Um, what's that movie with uh, insipid, in, insepticide? What is it? Insipid. Inception? 
Yeah, I just inceptioned us. I just oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I just inceptioned the psychos. Um, anyway, <laughs> so look, I uh, I was I found that I basically okay, psychos at home. I was thinking about the different things I wanted to talk to Hemda about in this podcast. And about an hour before I texted her a link to an article, and I was like, "Let's talk about this." If you have time to read it in the next hour, of which I know you have a super super busy schedule where you record ten podcasts uh, every week. Um, but uh, anyway, I sent her this interesting article. Um, it's, uh, it's called, um, it's called, what's it called? Oh, where is it? Um, it's, it's about basically the future of, uh, of podcasting consolidation. Uh, so it's called, it's called Spotify is doing to podcasting what Facebook and Google did to blogs. Uh, and then the little log line is by acquiring the most popular shows, Spotify wants to dominate the industry and make it impossible for newer voices to emerge. This is interesting. So what they're doing is they're buying up the biggest sh- some of the biggest shows and biggest platforms or podcast networks rather and paying out a lot of money to the people that run those and then they're ex- but the, the but the trade-off is the podcast can only exclusively be on the on the Spotify platform. So that uh, is consolidating then more kind of viewers, more market share there. Plus, Spotify is producing their own in-house content, and that's the stuff the algorithm is all going to push forward. So, uh, you know, compared to what uh, Keith and Chemda have been able to do by being pioneer, by being pioneers of the medium and having a very, very great and consistent product, like back in the day, Keith and Chemda were were comedy podcast number one and two on Podcast Alley, which is one of the first places that rated podcasts, and they were and Keith and the Girl and Keith and the Girl TV were podcast number one and two for many, many years. Um, which is super interesting. So with this consolidation that's happening, which I can explain more about in a little bit, I do want to hear what Hemda, uh, just her assessment, what she thinks. Well, there's, you know, this is happening. It was going to happen, you know, just like you compare it to blogs. Uh, blogs were probably taking away newspaper jobs and uh, where's TV going to be and what's Netflix if you know, we don't have a TV and like all of these questions and all of this, all of the ways to make money are always going to be searched um, for and through um, artists. So uh, what can I say about that? That, um, you know, I still have to make the best thing that I know how to make and put it out there and ask the audience to share it because I think that is the way that it gets spread the most and I'm hoping that if something is important to my listeners that they will share it and I think that's what media is is like the shared thing so do I have control over um, what other people are sharing and if it's you know better or worse than mine or if I'm climbing to some kind of chart you know got to remember there is no mountain just why are you podcasting is it <laughs> He's back to, to that there is way? no mountain. Yeah. Right? Like, what can you say about it? What? Is, this a, is it a surprise that a big company wants to monetize the thing that was once very, I was the first one who was doing this? You know what I mean? People get very upset about um, the bands that people are interested in while they're still at some place like Arlene's Grocery and get mad when they're at, in Madison Square Garden. It's... You know, it's a contradiction in a lot of ways, and it's a it's always a decision that artists have to make. Do I eat or do I hold on to whatever 
whatever I was calling this, you know, is it my art? Am I, am I selling out? What does selling out mean? That I make money at all or that I push something that I don't want or like, or that it doesn't matter to me and I'm just putting out content. And if you laughed, then I can have a cigarette commercial. I don't know. It has to be like what it is for me. We're still fighting that same system that caused every other thing to be built in this way and to go to this way. How did, you know, how did the 1% happen? Like it's all part of that system. So how do I fight that system? I don't know. Little things, you know, the same way that we fight um, all the other bad systems that are working against us. But uh, I don't know how to change what I do relative to this new information other than just be aware of it. Does that make sense? Like, I would love to be like, yeah, fight them. They're taking our info, blah, blah, blah. Like, yes, of course, all of that. Yes. Um, But it's no different than everybody else's job. And, you know, the man in this place is the man in that place. It's just, or it's two different men, but they are cousins. I don't know. It's such a big system. That system existed before podcasting, and it's bound to seep its way anywhere that you could make money. That system is going to start coming in. No, I I absolutely agree with you 100%, and I think that it's always going to be the way of things. There's going to be a thing that is this, you know, this, this creative outlet or something like that. It's going to, you know, and then... Uh, Entities that are, are really, 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 you know, just profit driven or mostly profit driven are going to, you know, sniff it out when the time is right. And they're going to, you know, I don't know, make it their own. They're going to do something with it. And then new things are going to come up. It's constantly always going to be the way. I just think it's interesting that the way that it's happening with the uh, with the with the podcast space, obviously, podcasts are more popular than ever. Obviously, all sorts of big corporate outlets have highly amplified podcasts at this point in time. Um, it's just interesting to see the pattern happening the way it is, because when I read this article, it was like, oh, OK, uh, the way that the way that say like um, Facebook and to an extent uh, Twitter took the uh, ad revenue away from individual blogs uh, because you were just be an individual blogger. And if you were getting enough views, you could like have your little banner ads and stuff and make some money that way. All of that money, that revenue got pretty much pulled away uh, because everybody's getting their content from the, the embeds or the shares on Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. So that kind of put the ability to become an independent blogger. It kind of really hurt that. Um, so that consolidation happened there. And now it's with, with podcasting, uh, Spotify's figured out a way to get there to get the market share in this capacity. The reason, and I think you're absolutely right. You can't just say like, Oh, woe is me or like, you know, and you can only rail against it to an extent. Uh, but I think what it goes to is it shows again, the further corporate consolidation of information in our country and how important it is for them to have this consolidation and how difficult it is for these independent voices to uh, to be heard and how much of a problem that is. And podcasting uh, continues to be and has been a space where that independent voice can be highly amplified. And I'm grateful that I have some friends in that space that have highly amplified voices. Um, the idea that that is now uh, considerably harder to do and is just going to be considerably harder to do, I think is important for us to understand at the very least. Yeah, so um, let's take Joe Rogan. What did his contract look like? It's $100 million. That's kind of all we know. It's exclusive and it's $100 million. 
but was he right to sign it? I I imagine a person like him is not going to put restrictions on what he can say and is still going to, you know, elevate the people who he enjoys their voices. And I don't know, maybe like, I don't want to call anyone a good guy, but he's got some of the voices that I think we agree with and that we're comfortable with, some that are not. But um, maybe fighting it is continuing to be yourself, to sign the contract that makes sense, that holds on to your some sort of autonomy um, that still gets your message out if that's what you were doing before and still, you know, helps the smaller people. But I don't know, we can't ask everybody to make the decisions based on the decisions that we're making now. These are new decisions. Would you take $100 million for your podcast if all they were doing was asking to be on this platform, knowing that all that other stuff exists? Because you know he knows that, you know, knowing that, do you become, quote, part of the problem? Uh, do you do you feel comfortable in the way that you're going to spend $100 million because you're going to maybe change the world in your mind based on that? You're one of the good guys that has that money. I don't know. It's, it's a very difficult step. And it's, you know, you could convince yourself, like, justifying for 20 years I've been an artist and made nothing. This is just a regular salary at this point. You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, I promise to do good with this money. Uh, I am one of the good guys. Um, I, I signed a good contract. I'm not going to let them muzzle me on this, that, or anything. Whatever works for you. And yes, we do have to acknowledge it the same way that we have to acknowledge everybody else. Um, all these other corporations turning into one, monopolizing some stuff despite the laws that we put into place, the lawmakers being corrupt despite all the checks and balances we thought we had in place. Like it all goes to that top level stuff and it trickles in and makes us make the difficult decisions, making something that's supposed to be good a difficult decision instead of, hey, everyone's on the same side here. And we're trying to make sure that there is art out there and that we do pay for it so that the people who we want to keep pushing that art out continue doing it and do it like we want them to do it, that whatever purity means to you without, you know, answering to this. But, you know, what's the balance of that? That's very, very difficult. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. And I don't, yeah, I'm not even... For the Joe Rogan thing, $100 million for Joe Rogan to exclusively be on uh, Spotify with this podcast and obviously bring that massive following along with it. I'm not even making an assessment of it being right or wrong, his decision on that. I'm just saying the fact that this is what uh, Spotify is doing and this is their kind of like smart play within our system for market share is very, very interesting. And now it means through the podcast medium... Uh, a new independent voice, a diverse voice, it's going to be difficult for that. It's going to be more difficult for that person to uh, to um, to spontaneously, more independently uh, amass a following. But that happens with everything. I, there's been early adopters that have, uh, you know, thrived on mediums and then others that haven't. That's the way it goes, even on Instagram, all the platforms and stuff well, like consider, that. Well, consider then our part of it. If... Um 
if we're the ones who are given that, right? So then maybe we should pay attention to the people who don't have a voice, make sure we have them on our show every here and again in between the bigger names and whatever we're supposed to be doing and um, make sure that we do have our ear open for the open micers and the, the people who are on their way up instead of who have climbed and then they get to be on our show. So do do what we want the world to look at when we're from that perspective. You know, don't don't let them fall into nothingness before they get uh before they get on a show and don't wait until somebody reaches the height of their career before you give them that pass i agree i think gandhi said it best when he said be the guest you want to see on the podcast (laughs) 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 wait no that didn't make any sense (laughs) wait 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 no (laughs) wait book the guest you want to see have a podcast Yes, basically. <laughs> that was a mountain. <laughs> that was pretty good, right? Um, okay, so uh, on that note, let's see. Is Okay, before we get to uh, us letting everybody know where folks can find you, uh, is there anything else that comes to mind? Any uh, any other words, anything you think left on the plate that we didn't discuss? I don't know. It's been like super fun tripping on this stuff with you. You know, it's nice. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm like, that I'm means- always like, yes, I'm totally following this and i love it <laughs> oh buddy do <laughs> yeah. you understand the joy the pure joy in my heart for me to have him on as my guest on my podcast it's same, like same the first podcast i ever went on was your podcast you know like and it was amazing and that was the first time in my life after getting to be a, a repeat guest on KTG and becoming part of that clan that extended dysfunctional family. It's the first time that I had, you know, followers of my comedy, people downloading my albums and knowing that I had fans of my stand up, you know, it's oh, through you guys. Love you on <laughs> Keith and the girl. Absolutely. Like when they hear that this is the episode that's coming out with you in it, ah, oh, they love it. Your crazy interactions with Keith and you know, like him <laughs> asking you crazy questions and 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 you just like so open and honest and um I don't know. I just think you, you've been giving the Keith and the Girl show a lot, and it's always good to have you on. So it's great to be here as well. I love well, it. That, that means a lot to me. And, uh, yeah, Keith and I always keep each other on our toes too, which is fun. <laughs> um, so maybe you could tell some of the Keith and the Girl listeners to start listening to this podcast. Of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, JK. Um, but please do. Um, but uh, uh, what I want to say is um, just let folks let folks know, like, please let folks know about OMAC Club. Let folks know about all your projects, because any psychos, you guys, like, I would not be podcasting right now if it was not for Keith and the girl. Uh a lot of people wouldn't, to be honest. Um, and you would have found it. I know it. I know you would have. But thank you. I appreciate it. And it's again, it's always good having you on the show. Um, it's KeithandTheGirl.com. Keith and the Girl on every platform. You just put Keith and the Girl in. My name is Chemda. It's spelled C H E M D A. And I feel like anywhere that you listen to podcasts, you can find it just with either my name or Keith and the Girl. And um, OMAT is KeithandTheGirl.com slash OMAT Club. O-M-A-T-C-L-U-B. Uh, if if you can, check it out. Uh, give it a try. If you don't like it, I will give you your money back. I'm not trying to push you into some kind of programming. Just see if it's if it fits you. It's a very, very gentle program. Do what you want. You know, hang out if that's all you can do and that's all you want to do. And I think that's everything. Um, oh, uh, you saying about the podcasting world and how, like, the... The smaller podcasts won't be found. Another 
responsibility falls on the audience. Just like for us, it falls on us to, to get the open micer and the person on their way up instead of waiting. The audience, if this is important, then you share it and you help that be shared. You help that grow and and the message that you want to heard be heard. And, you know, maybe you don't have Spotify to tell people about your podcast, but everyone listening here should. If you, that's how you keep the art going. You know, you either like pay a whole lot of money and then, you know, we have the freedom to do it or you share it. And then that gives us the same freedom to do it as well. So thanks. Yeah, you, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. You hear that, psychos? So I know on my back end analytics that nearly forty percent of you are listening on Apple Podcasts, but none of y'all ever leave like a five star review or like mm-hmm. a little comment. That shit actually goes a long way, and it takes like a minute to do. So if you could do that, that would mean a lot. Anybody who hasn't uh, you know subscribed yet at jfodnews.com, please do because when I get a notification that someone subscribes, it makes me smile. So if for nothing else uh do that and all that being said i want to say Hemda again thank you so much uh for being on uh thank you're you. wonderful yeah yeah absolutely uh please come back again yeah yes please yeah awesome. thanks for having me you're amazing uh yeah please give uh keith and xerxes and the and andrew and everybody my love the whole katg crew i will for sure and uh, all you psychos listening at home, please check out Keith and the Girl. They are the pioneers and they are the best. I'm uh, uh, John F. O'Donnell. Thank you guys. Goodbye. Goodbye.